Hey everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub on this Wednesday. We were just talking about how many times our guest again today, Bobby, has been on the show. This has been his third time on the show. This has been his third time on the show and it feels like it might be, it feels like every time is just so jam-packed full of awesome information. Basically, anytime we can go find the opportunity to bring Bobby on, I feel like we go bring Bobby on the show and super happy to have him back. Having said that, if you guys are new here, welcome. If you've been here before, absolutely welcome back. All this month long, we're talking about standardization in automation. We want to shout out and thank our sponsor, Siemens, for sponsoring this month. And we're going to, in just a moment, jump in and have Bobby go give us from the integrator, machine builder, a little bit of everything perspective, which I am very excited, which I'm very excited about. Having said that, if you guys are new here, we do our very best to go ahead and bring folks in chat. So if you are watching on my LinkedIn or Bobby's LinkedIn or any of our YouTube or other channels, please feel free to go ahead and say hi in the chat. Please feel free to go ahead and ask us questions, to ask Bobby, ask your each other questions go ahead it's our goal to have a as as active of a chat as possible it's one of the things that we enjoy the most i see we've got a bunch of folks in chat both on bobby's channel and on my channel so thank you everyone for being here very excited very excited to go ahead and have everyone without further ado let's go kick off everyone welcome to manufacturing hub my name is dave this guy down here is vlad we've got a very special guest bobby cole from think plc back on and i do want to shout out before we we let him go ahead and talk that bobby has been on twice before episode 37 and episode 79 and bobby going back and looking back you gave us great introductions and all these other things i'm not sure we could ask one person to come on three completely different types of conversations but i feel like you fit all of them perfectly so bobby thank you for being here yeah thank you same here for making me an ambassador of the manufacturing hub podcast so appreciate you absolutely (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us once again today, Bobby. The first question, as for those of you who have not seen Bobby's episodes before, could you please give us an introduction, a little bit about yourself? How did you get into manufacturing slash automation? What was your career path like? And ultimately, what do you do today? Wow, we do not have enough time this afternoon to, to dive into that. The short of it is typical college kid that like to tinker with mechanical things, computer savvy, which is, which coming out of the nineties was not everybody was that right. As kids are nowadays, went to a community college, started my career at a community college. It was a associates in like computer and electronic engineering technology. I was able to work and carry that into a bachelor's degree. It was really nice in the state that I went to school in Virginia, we was able to carry that associates as a junior And I was able to immediately get out and find a job, which was fairly interesting after 9-11, finding a job was not the easiest thing. But uh, since I had, as a young man, worked in the, with my family being in the emergency services, I had done that myself, worked at a fire department. And every weekend there was a training course, I would go firefighter one, firefighter two, hazmat, CPR. I would just do these things knowing that it really wasn't my career path, but I really enjoyed it. And it made my family happy that I was joining them. And the gentleman, I interviewed monster jobs like you would now on Indeed or what have you, and looked in manufacturing because I really appreciated a college professor of mine. Shout out to John Hackworth. Has an amazing book on programmable logic controllers, very agnostic, manufacturer agnostic. 
dives in a lot of the details for the digital logic functions that uh, go around with uh, the basics of PLC logic. I refer to it in my training classes that I offer often. And so he had got me into looking into what what's goes on in automation, even though I think one lab had a PLC in it the whole time I was in school. So I really didn't, I couldn't spell PLC getting out of school is the joke I have. So got into manufacturing pretty quick. That opportunity came about because I had done more than just got a degree. I'd done all these other things and that, that employer found it interesting that I was more than just a electronics technician. And so fast forward, got an opportunity with Dell computers, went to work for in, in, improving the automation processes. So I did all the ASRS cranes, conveyor systems, so on and so forth, and just carried on from there. Started doing consulting work for friends, probably dates back to the 2005 era. Started getting involved and probably the most advantageous for my career is I donated my time to a local community college, started helping them write grants, started teaching classes, helping with special events, and that made my career flourish. So as much as I was giving to them, I got in return. And then at one point just got forced into business. So become an entrepreneur by, by happen chance and grew from there, guys. I grew 2008 happened. I come out of 2008 and was awarded a huge project, 150,000 IO point skater rewire for a jail system and got really lucky when other people were laying off. I was hiring and building a panel shop and, I've been digging strong since about 2006. I've got a number of questions for you, Bobby, but I guess, could you paint us a picture of today? So I think that Think PLC has certainly grown since then. What does it look like today? What kind of maybe work you do without obviously revealing the customers, but just, again, just to understand better what you guys are involved in. Yeah. So we would be considered a systems integrator, but there's an onlyness statement in that. Like, for example, we were talking I know in our area, we're the only systems integrator that actually does CNC control systems. So we work closely with Siemens and the Sinumeric. We're a Sinumeric solution partner. So we're going after CNC retrofit, building new machines with that. We're the only systems integrator in a very large footprint that has mechanical capability and not call themselves a machine builder amongst having mechanical engineering on staff. We actually have a, a full-blown machine shop. I have a six kilowatt laser to, to cut metal and we have a CNC milling machine. We, we have electromechanical tacks to assemble. But again, we don't call ourselves a machine builder. We skate that line because we do build some things, small things, but we do value add. And that's come from our core competency being in controls, being a very controls focused business. That's our vision. That's, that's going to be our core for moving forward. As we bolt in these things, it's okay to bolt in your business. It's okay to transform, right? That's mm -hmm. that's the reason they say Western Union's not PayPal. They didn't advance. They didn't grow. And I think a lot of the people, AKA, we would compete with, although I really don't like that word competition because I'll be honest with you, we work closely with utilizing other systems integrators and they use us. So we like to call those guys partners. But there's some loneliness statement in there where we do our own thing a little different than the 1990s systems integrator that still exists out there in a lot of businesses, we call it. Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense. I wanted to ask you a question and I picked up on this comment you made, which was that you started getting projects from some of your colleagues back in 2005. So I'm curious because I certainly have a lot of conversations with engineers who are either looking maybe for some part-time projects as contractors or maybe to looking 
to go off on their own, like what that transition looked like for you? And I guess ultimately in 2023, how would you approach that question? Because I think quite a bit has changed and maybe there's different tools. And again, would you do the same steps that you did in 2005 or would you do something differently if you were in that position? I don't know if the same steps would be the opportunity. There's so many integrators popping up. I think it's easier landscape now. There was few far between. There wasn't a lot of small, what I call small is like the one to 10 man operation. They're popping up like crazy. In fact, someone kind of jokingly said that a distributor person the other day, they were talking about there's these integrators everywhere now. So I think, I want to say it's easier now. I don't know why exactly. I guess we could theorize that social media and things, you're connected to more people. To go back to me, I'm working in a factory and I was working around maintenance team and all these maintenance guys had obviously come from all these businesses nearby, one of which still had contacts with his former boss, knew they were struggling, knew they were struggling with electrical controls at very old equipment. And he's, hey, uh, I'm getting a phone call. I don't know what I'm doing. Would you be willing to go take a look at this piece of equipment for a guy? So I said, yeah, after work, I'll drive over there. So I drove over there and maybe put a wire back under a screw or something. And it started him calling me. That in itself, the story is interesting. This is a retired general motive injection molding engineer that in his retirement decided to buy a plastics company, the Tinker. He actually was one of John DeLorean's right-hand men. He, come, he came from Pontiac. He had two DeLoreans, which is really cool. Long story short, he sold his business to a Canadian company out of Montreal. They needed help. And so he called me up one day and said, hey, what would it take to, to have you for a year? And that really made me think about what it meant to do my own thing. It was out of necessity, not that I had some motivator. It was just like, hey, okay, there's an option here. That's scary. There's a lot of great ways that you can get workers' comp insurance and other things to run a business the right way now for a one-man show or maybe a 10-person business. Like us at 28 people, we're a PEO company, so we have big company benefits now. That was unheard of in 2010 or 2005. So I just think the landscape is easier, and that's why you're seeing more of us out there, which is fine because there's plenty of work to go around. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess that begs like a general question, whether or not long-term we're going to see a lot of these smaller shops, very specialized across the different verticals that we're seeing, I think, emerging versus someone's going to come in and consolidate. But I think that's a whole like, couple of hours of a discussion. But it, it is interesting yeah. that there's more. It, it is. And we love it. There's some, the guys that go focus in vision, we run like the plague to vision work. And we just, we're just very honest. We're not that. We have some guys that's done it. We'll do some barcode scanning and stuff like that. But shout out to those guys that go after that work because it's through my gray hair that I have now. I found that it's a very complicated way to make money. And it's a cool niche, though. It's needed. And so, yeah, you just find your find what makes you, your again, your loneliness statement and write it out and market it. That's another thing is is to market what you do and go sell that brand is that loneliness statement. So mm -hmm. it was interesting. I had a speaker the other day on marketing. And she asked everyone, what does your brand mean to other people? And we're all going around the table and we're like, oh, it says who we are and blah, blah, blah. And she said, your brand is someone's gut feeling. 
So <laughs> how do you influence that with a logo? I don't think it's the case, but uh, so anyway, all that plays into it for sure. Dave, what are your thoughts? I think it's, I think it's all very interesting, Bobby. I feel like every time you come on and we ask you that question and every time you give us like a little bit of a different piece of that backstory. So I think that, that, that that's all very exciting. I want to kind of ask a, a question. I want to ask a question on your side, talking about standardization in automation, right? So as we go through standardization in automation, what does that look like for you? And maybe what does it look like now today versus what it looked like 20 years ago? What, when you started out? Great question. We can, we could carve that off in a pie probably when we could talk about hardware and when we could talk about software and then we could talk about business operations around doing these top projects or just project management in general associated with automation projects. So I'll just dive into the one that sticks out to me the most. The obvious one to dive into is hardware. You've had great guests on here to talk that mm -hmm. front, so I'm not going to spend time on it. For me, what jumps out is software side. And so whether it be version control, whether it be manufacturer specific, whether it be the utilities inside of the software around your automation platform, it is obviously instrumental to have a standard. And you know what, if you're still on version 19, 5,000, that's fine because I have to correct people often that it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole of the latest and greatest that's out there and, oh, we fixed these bugs and all that stuff, but it's very hard to support if you have a plant full of machinery and mm -hmm. every one of them is a different version. So mm -hmm. we're very careful about leading a customer by the hand down that road. That's a, that's a, you should have a survey for every project you do. And one of those surveys should be to ask the customer how much that matters to obviously like fortune 100 company, a major tire organization or aerospace, they're going to hand you a piece of paper and say, you're going to do it by the spec in automotive mm -hmm. as well. So it's not our customers every day. Although we support those guys, we support a lot of the small manufacturers, right? They even have big brands, but they're small in manufacturing and they really lean on us. So we have a due diligence to, to serve these guys to say, okay, I'm putting a new guy on a project for a three-year-old customer of ours we've been working with for years or 10 years, whatever. By the way, that asset should be done in TIE portal version 15.1, or this is why we're not going to just start off and migrate their code. You need to think through that. That can be a, that can be a mouthful for some customers. So you have to be careful with that. And it's just inner knowing how to operate. All right. So with that being said, more importantly, it's something that I preach and it's why you want to come to one of our brew logics events, or it's probably the first two hours of a training class that I would offer. It's the resource side of what we do. The joke is I have a 20 year old cheat sheet. It's 20 years of experience and depending on the manufacturers, which cheat sheet it is, it's not only how to get tech support and what utilities you use, but it's also things like how to access libraries and what library would do what. So I will dive into the Siemens side of things. We have a standard template. We use it, Think PLC, that's made of multiple libraries that could be Siemens generated, our generation, and or DMC. So if I had no spec, and I hear this from large companies, large machine builders, often material handling companies example they're like we want a standard we just 
don't know how to get there. Don't write the book. You don't have to write the book nowadays. But the problem is if you don't know where to get this stuff, obviously you don't know where to start creating that standardization. So I provide that in the documentation, in the training courses, in the BrewLogics. We always give that content out. And if you did my step seven classic rewind webinar last year, the big part of that, the first part of it was like making you more resourceful by finding this standardization. And so I'll give a shout out to DMC and what they did with TIA portal starting back maybe version 14. I'm going to ruin this, but open PLC library.org. One of something about that, you can Google it or I'll Google it for you. There's a, a standard that DMC out of Chicago, which is a fantastic systems integrator they created, and it's now been refined and worked on to V18. So we're using DMC's openly available, which is the reason it was developed documentation and TIA portal, TIA portal libraries so that we can create some standardization and we now have complete process plants on DMC libraries. It's a joke with a, one of the one of our lead guys, lead engineers. He's DMC's got a block for that. DMC's got a block for that. And then you can dive into the application specific standardization. So if we're talking motion control, there's standards around blocks like the L Access library that Siemens offers. Rockwell has some great utilities through the the knowledge base for solving solutions, solving applications past what you'll get in just studio. So I definitely recommend that, like actually solving applications, which to wrap this thing in a bow and I'll be quiet. <laughs> it, the fact that we talk about generations and how our companies change, let's talk about how it's okay for these major manufacturers to change. And I've got to be honest, where Rockwell stood the test of time 80s and 90s was they were coming up with ways, instruction sets to solve applications that we're running into 99% of the time. You can be a manufacturer and you can have amazing software. You can have the fastest processor. You can have the most memory. You can have the best hardware. But if you're not providing application standardization or application solving tools, you're not going to stay up with the times, you're not going to have the customer base. That's the change from 2023, from 2002 when I was starting my career. I've got a number of questions for you, Bobby, but I guess I want to maybe separate. So there's a couple of, I think, interesting points, right? And we can split this up into hardware. We can split this up into, because I think the challenges are slightly different into software. And obviously that kind of encapsulates the libraries and application development. And then there's operational standardization, which I think will exclude maybe for the purpose or the scope yeah. of this conversation, but it is a challenge of its own. But I guess on the hardware side, right, I would say that standardizing, let's say components, I think most of us understand that, first of all, it saves on inventory, right? So you can standardize on a single piece of hardware and ultimately the least components you have, the lower cost of whatever you're storing in the back office, the least breakage, the least uh, I, I want to say confusion and in installation. Any other thoughts on standardizing like hardware in general? Because I've certainly been in nightmare plants where there's like six PLC brands. And I think it also leads to other challenges. But I'm curious, like what you have seen and what you think around like hardware. Just that. And the conversation comes up often when production people buy machinery and they don't get engineering and maintenance involved. Normally that's a maintenance group within an organization or a manufacturing facility. They don't call them into the meetings or they don't ask the right questions or, and to get that in place. So 
yeah, you get every version, whatever was cheapest. And over the last year and a half, it's whatever the hell we could get, right? So with that being said, that's a big deal. The It's obvious in the sense of spare parts. We have an OEM that builds desiccant air dryers. It's a very simple machine, complex and mechanically how it works, but simple in controls. So it uses an S7-1200. That's a high horsepower, low cost brick, right? They did, for a major automotive manufacturer, they obviously quoted a desk and air dryer, specialty dryer, and that company, which to my liking, set the standard on what they're going to do. So it was a rewrite of code. We did an L83 control logics in the place of an S7-1200. And so we, we had a second meeting to say, are you sure? Are you sure this is a $12,000 CPU? Yeah, double the cost of the system. Yeah, yeah, we're replacing $1,000 for sure. And are you sure? And they're like, yes, this is the only processor we want to stock. We know it. It's our standard. And I was blown away that they would pay that for a project, but they found value on the front end to make sure that was the case. Especially like... On the Siemens side of things, don't have a 1511, 1512, couple 1513s, 11515 out there. Just don't do it. Just And by the way, fail-safe in all these processors is not that much money. Go ahead and buy the fail-safe processor. Just have it and just keep the same stock. If we're down there, you got to look at the livelihood and what this stuff means. And we're down there picking up pennies and dollar bills are blowing by our head. Do you, I guess, so the conversations that I've struggled with the most is articulate maybe the intangibles, right? So like I've mentioned, there's factories that simply, and again, like you, I think we all feel it once we show up there and we see the six brands and the difficulty they just have maintaining their uptime and the struggling OE. But I think it's not as transparent as, let's say you can buy a piece of machinery, like you said, at like 100K with one controller or a different one at 500k and so the yeah. the initial thought as well we should be buying the one at 100k but we don't stop to think about all these intangible i think struggles wh- which come from buying different pieces than hot podging this together yep. so i'm curious if you had those conversations and how would you articulate these i want to say like less easy to come to terms with benefits or downfalls of not standardizing it does come up often. We uh, we have a hard time helping control the purchasing decisions when it comes mm-hmm. to spare parts as on a global level. We have a handful of customers we're that ingrained with, but on the front end, it's very difficult to have that conversation. It's really a duty on the distributor level guys and the manufacturer level sales reps regionally. I think that's something they need to come up with an unbossed way to communicate that where it doesn't sound like a sales gimmick in my opinion obviously siemens has a really good story i think matt put it up there where obviously you can migrate the 1200 to the 1500 code seamlessly without a major undertaking and things like that but the other conversation that often does not have is people do not use the resources available to look at the life cycle of a hardware component and i've been guilty of it by just being ignorant to the fact that i was at the end of a life cycle of a product and then I do an upgrade. And then next year, by the way, we just did this upgrade. They love their new machine, but their new machine has hardware that now has been announced as discontinuation. And it seems like all manufacturers are creating discontinuation faster than they did earlier mm-hmm. in my career. So that that's another thing to keep up with. 
I like to be on the edge, but not on the bleeding edge. I don't like for the manufacturers to learn by my tech support phone calls for things that don't work. But at the same time, you can't be on the tail end of the life cycle of something. Or you need to make a business decision around that. I have some customers that we're still providing S7300s day in, day out to. They have 600 systems out there. You're not going to just move that train all at once. It has to be a very strategized plan to move an OEM and that and we got to update drawings, build materials, mm-hmm. internal part numbers. It it's a big undertaking. So when we have people calling us and say, hey, we would we'd love you to use our widget and in this customer that you buy piles of parts for. And I say, yeah, that that's great. But are you going to come in and update the bill of materials and update the drawings? And they're like, oh okay, we get it. Give us a chance next time that comes around. Of course. We have that often. Dave, what are your thoughts? So I was laughing when Bobby was talking about some, some obsolete items. I had a customer and for whatever reason, one of the engineers I was working with mentioned that we had used this very particular and specific brand of IPCs at a large client, Fortune 500 client, right? And they're like, oh, we have to have these. And we went down the path of going to figure out what they were and they were end of life, right? Like within the next 12 months, you're not gonna possibly be able to get them. And Bobby, I can't tell you how many hours I spent trying to convince the people that they wanted the things that's got five to 10 years of life cycle and not the thing that has less than 12 months of life cycle and will never be able to get it back. And I actually never convinced them that they ended up going with the, they ended up going with the thing that was already at end of life because they they liked the sexy logo that, that it was that it was associated with, I think it actually cost them more money than the other newer version of the thing as well. But sometimes to your previous point about, hey, at some point we need to go figure out how this is not a sales gimmick of going and convincing people to stay away from end of life items, especially if you're looking to make major changes and put 50 or 500 of these items in your facility. I I would agree with that. I think that we see some of that with vendor managed inventory. But I think a lot of it becomes, uh, this is the PLC that was specced with it. Why would I move away from the, the PLC or the HMI or the item that was specced with it? So I, I absolutely I'd love to agree. See a poll. I'd love to see a poll about this question, but I'd love to see the metrics on the age of the person responding as well. One thing we I've run into in my career is you get, you're working with a customer and you got to know your audience and understand what drives them, right? They're the hero in the story. So you just got to guide them, but uh, you got the guy that's five years of retirement. He, it ain't broke. I don't want, don't fix it. It's always what we've always done. You're going to get a different conversation than a younger person. I feel like, and that's just always the case about going with something new. So it's a change, change is easier for younger folks. Something to consider. Absolutely. I've had a number of clients ask, they tell me, Bobby, they're like, I'm going to retire in three years or five years. Am I going to run into an issue in three years or five years? And the answer is no, they just look at us and they're like, I don't care. Then we'll go with whatever you've got. If I won't have to deal with it, if it's the next person who's going to have to deal with it, then good on it. That that, that occurs sometimes as well. (laughs) Then it comes like whatever's cheapest, right? (laughs) Yes. And Speaking, I guess, of less obvious things, which I think is software, right? Because I think that hardware is, at the very least, you see the cost, you see what the implications are. But in software, I argue that as a control systems engineer, I would have a good understanding of what's going to happen if it's written in a non-standardized way, let's say, in a couple of years. But I think as you have those conversations with leadership, those are becoming more and more difficult to have. So I guess the question 
that I have for you, Bobby, is who do you typically see maybe at the end user side lead the charge on standardizing code? And I think Matt has left a bunch of comments. I know he understands what it typically takes, but who do you see at that table trying to wrangle and standardize maybe on the software side? Yeah, I'd love to say the corporate engineers, but we just don't work with, we do work with companies that have corporate engineers that are big. Majority of my clients, again, it's the technician level guy that's part of the maintenance team that, mm -hmm. that has maintenance responsibility as well as doing project work. And so usually those folks, either on the front end of a, an opportunity quote or on a kickoff, they're involved. So we're usually sitting in a room with those guys learning what their standard is the day after we get a PO or whatever. That's the person I'm probably eight times out of 10 dealing with, not some high level corporate boardroom, corporate engineer that's in a different building than the factory, right? And it's an interesting problem, right? Because I think that now more so than ever, we're seeing more consolidation between like different sites, right? And at least like in my experience before that, there was some corporate roles, but ultimately each side was responsible for almost maintaining their own standard, right? For better or for worse. And now we're seeing how consolidating, whatever that means, right? Like it, it could be data, it could be just metrics inside of your like MES OE system. It is increasingly difficult if you don't have those standards in place, right? It becomes, yeah. I want to say like very expensive to send out either the corporate engineer or a systems integrator yeah. to go and audit everything from ground up and then rework the code and try and make sense of it all, but ultimately standardize as well. Yep. And so we practice what we preach, interesting for a systems integrator. It's the small things that I've learned years past being part of bigger organizations and just learning the hard way. There's some basic things you can do as just a company, and you can do this as an end user as well in a factory. So you hire, you hire, you want a controls experienced maintenance person, because that's, we got to have that person. So the first day they show up, HR person takes them in there and they talk about what not to do. They sign an employee handbook and then it's, okay, IT will get you a computer someday. All right. So they give them a computer and they're like, this computer won't even, it don't even have an RJ45 port on it. Like now I got to get on Amazon and buy adapters. So even in our company talking about standardization, we have really focused on the onboarding side of things. We put as much emphasis on onboarding someone as we have trying to hire somebody and that's usually the opposite i've experienced so little things like a checkoff sheet we have a backpack with a laptop that's loaded with base windows it has all the softwares vm player license all the vms are on a hard drive all the cable df1 cable mpi usb adapter a2 cable a 15 foot rj45 all that stuff is there kitted so when you come on board here's what you get you're ready to go. I can't tell you how many people fail on that front end. They're trying to be a systems integrator or they're trying to be a controls focused company and they will figure it out on the go. That's just been a thing that happens. Let's just, let's face it. That's a deficiency on a company like ours. So we've spent the last two years making the onboarding experience as fluid as it can be. And then you got to think about Okay, you've it's you've been here three years. You, laptops aging, cables have broken ends. So you need different tools because of different obviously technologies out there. So we're constantly trying to innovate that and make it so that there's no question on what we do and how we behave when we come on board. Yeah, and I would certainly resonate with a lot of those comments. I'd almost make the argument that certain manufacturers would have 
the engineers almost buy laptops on eBay to be able to service the equipment yeah. that they have at their facilities. And I, to be honest with you, again, like maybe taking the other side, I don't think it's because there's some malicious intent. It's because somebody at whatever level doesn't necessarily understand the requirements that a control systems technician or engineer has in order to support that equipment. Yeah. There's not a map of all the components. No. So we don't know. We cannot just access it through the web server that IT yeah. has set up, even though they have that right intent. But And it's usually it the guy watching the uh, fixing the emails and making sure that IP addresses yeah. in the conference room are working that's doing that. And it's just, there's no, and then those guys get aggravated with operations because they're not being aligned to being told what, they don't sit down and have those conversations. Now, leading up to that, I would say, we're three years, we're three years to the table. We're five years late and I'll blame it on the major manufacturers. Okay. But what's coming with the FT hub from Rockwell and the TIE portal cloud is going to help create, I think, ease at some point to where <laughs> the days of like having literally like flying places with 10 different programming cables for every PLC in the world you might connect to. And every version, thank God that virtual machines come out. And we've been mm -hmm. using those religiously since 2012, probably. But they're trying to harness that. And again, today, the fact that you can't get a, a USB drive, a two terabyte USB drive doesn't show up with a virtual machine of Windows perfectly tested by engineers from Rockwell and has all the software loaded, ready to go. And all you do is put your license on it and Siemens as well. Why that's not a thing to this day is there's some economic driver around that, I'm sure. But uh, like we're asking it's a business for it. opportunity. It's a business it's opportunity. It's what we do. So, uh, for example, years ago, have 10, 15 guys loading Step 7 Classic and waiting, have four hours for it to load while they're loading in Factory Talk View version, blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. so this guy's laptop's got all these versions and this guy... It is such a challenge. It was a major challenge of a c controls business, whether it be an, at an end user or at a systems integrator. And uh, virtual machines have helped with that. But uh, unless you got your ducks in a row and have all that ready for an employee, and that's what we do. We have a, <clears throat> each year, obviously, we renew our, our Rockwell toolkit. Our solutions partner stuff comes up. The latest version, V18, comes out or whatever. We get one installation, we get it tested, and we make sure that PLCM Advanced works with this and there's not something corrupted and a license isn't barking at you. And then we distribute that. We get it licensed appropriately and we distribute as needed. Interesting. I see Matt mentioned the infrastructure code for this and he mentioned the package manager called Chocolati. I don't know if it's, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if Rockwell has official software on that. I know that you can pull like different tools, but maybe like Siemens does. So it's interesting. I think that our industry will certainly evolve and it will get better, but I am not familiar personally of a tool that would allow you, as you said, Bobby, to just pull yeah. maybe those versions very easily with just a line mm -hmm. of code, just so you have in traditional software. So yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, to look into for sure. Plant PAX was a good start of code standardization on top of that. And then pack and mail was a way that manufacturers got together and said, guys, we got to have some consistency here. We can't have people go on log list, which we always do. And Bobby comes out and he sees that Siemens releases the CEM language in V17. Oh my gosh, I got to use that now for this project. And then nobody else knows what that even means. And 
we've got guys that really like to do things in SEL code and some that can't even understand it. Like it's challenging. It used to be a networking was our challenge 10 years ago. And now it's all the different features and form that people use and additive licenses and software utilities you got to have loaded. So it's just, you have to be very careful with that and less is more <laughs> stick to the basics and then work your way out from there. If I can follow up on the software side, right? So when you develop applications for end users, so there's a couple of like, interesting points. So number one, who owns maybe the standard that you create while working for an end customer? Because I've seen certainly instances where another integrator comes in, whether it is in a year or two years, or maybe they're working concurrently and takes that standard for themselves and who the IP ultimately belongs to. But then also can, let's say, the end user use that standard across their plants? Like how does that maybe like dynamic work and how do you see it evolving in the years to come? It's a good question. So there's always been lockable add-on instructions and function blocks. So if integrator OEM wants to block that code out, you can absolutely do that. It was arguable in step seven that you could crack it pretty easy, but now with the TIA portal, <clears throat> it's locked down for good. To the demise, don't lose the password. We've dealt with that in the past, having to recreate <laughs> stuff for people who can't because the guy quit and they didn't have a password. For us, I don't know many... There's been little opportunities where someone come to me and said, hey, Bobby, I'm doing a really cool thing, but we can't afford you. So therefore, I want you to own a piece of this. So therefore, you're going to own the IP. We look at it as if you, if you pay us for our time to develop that program for you, regardless of what function blocks we use or what have you, you own it. You own it. It's your code. So if somebody comes behind us a year from now, it's your software to give to the other customer. If you go through one of my training classes, I teach best practices in the intro class because intro class, it, you're teaching people how to use software, right? You're not teaching them how to be a programmer or a PLC programmer. You're teaching best practices, organization, and how to use software, how to get around. With that being said, I have a way at which I like to do grouping now with TIA portal, all the grouping folder structures and ways you can create PLC data types. We have a way which we have a base. If it comes out of think PLC, you're going to open up a project and you're going to see a grouping of folders. It's always there, whether it be main system, alarming, or you're going to know to get to an alarm, you go to that group. It's always going to be the same and it's been adopted. It gets talked about. We have, lunch and learns internally and we just work together we have a base program by the way we have a template and you just change the cpu and mm -hmm. it's got all the blocks to handle alarming and all these other things that by the way arguably hopefully in the very near future will be handled for you and you don't have to write as much code around nonetheless so that's how we do it if somebody takes that and does it themselves then i'm just flattered dave thoughts I I appreciate Bobby's comments. We've got Matt in the comments talking about MIT open licensing and how lots of this is, we'll just call it open source, talking about building blocks. Yeah. And I would generally agree with Bobby's comments. At some point you're building it for an end user. And at some point, I think everyone realizes that the end that you're not the only person. You're certainly not the last person who's going to come in. I'm not sure I've worked with many integrators who haven't seen someone do something really cool on insert whatever platform we want. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. I'm going to go build something that, that that is very similar. So I would agree with that. I don't know 
how much intrinsic value, like monetary value, the structure is to potentially be worried about holding it off from other people seeing it. But I think that there is huge intrinsic standards values of if, if Bobby and I are working at X site and we standardize everything to this, hopefully when Vlad comes along two years later, he's going to continue the standards. Hopefully there'll be someone there who forces him to continue the standards so that when anyone comes back, everything is gone and built on the standards, which, yes, I'm sorry. If you're in, if you're in training, if Mm -hmm. you provide training, and I'm not pointing this to Vlad. It's just a public statement because <laughs> I actually absolutely love Solus PLC. So the if, if you're not teaching organization mm-hmm. as part of, you can call it your standard or as your best practice, I'd call it best practice, that becomes your standard, then you're doing a disservice for sure. I would agree with that. I'm going to slightly go change this conversation because we've got some folks to thank. We want to thank the folks at Siemens for sponsoring standardization and automation, sustainability, product customization, digitalization, and new technologies and competitors. Manufacturing continues to grow more complex. Standardization is our answer to these challenges. The more standardized technologies, systems, processes, and interfaces become, the faster and more cost-effectively you can drive your automation and digitalization forward. How can you boost your flexibility and competitiveness? What probably happens when you change the machine supplier and then you have to integrate automation systems from different vendors? Without standardization, you need more employees with different skills, you lose flexibility and time on the integration process and have to expect longer downtimes. With standardization, you avoid these problems and gain both flexibility and competitive advantage. Wanna learn more? Check out big old long link, Siemens.com, where we talk about standardization on the back end. We will go ahead and drop that link in all of the chats. If you guys are listening on podcast form, we'll have that in there as well. I will also go ahead and make the comment for anyone listening. Matt has put a bunch of really good comments and links in in the chat. We will make sure that all of those comments and links make it out onto show notes and everything else as they come out. One of Matt's comments, as I think he made, so I think we had the comment while he was on here a week or a couple of months ago, was something to the effect that Siemens seemingly has the answer to everything. The most difficult part is going and figuring out where Siemens has gone and solved the problem, very much to, to Bobby's point earlier. But Bobby, I guess one of the things that I want to have the opportunity to touch on is maybe some customer success stories. I know you alluded to it before, but I know you work with a bunch of customers and you've helped the standardization process and there are large, both intrinsic and monetary benefits to that. Do you have a customer story or two that we can share and talk about? Yeah, I have a bunch. Probably the most recent that just sticking out is local to us in North Carolina, plastics regrind facility that over the last few years, we have upgraded all but one control panel. So that's about 30 control panels. And it's ranged from PLC5 to S5 that we've migrated. That customer had the vision to allow us to create a standard. So we have all the same CPUs in there. Starting with the first extruder design, we use the DMC blocks. This goes back to version 15.1, probably... I'd say 15.1 is the last major upgrade. And then we've set the standard. They've kept the same size touchscreen through every machine. Every machine. Think about that. That's uh, that's interesting. A lot of folks won't do that. So one panel, one thing, one thing to stock. 
Then the great thing about that is the HMI template suite that Siemens has now for Unified. We use the standardization through the HMI template suite that's on. You can Google HMI template suite, boom, it's going to pull up. And we made that our standard for internally ourselves to give the customers, but made it for specifically this customer. And in doing that, marrying that with the DMC blocks, whether it be a valve or motor control, what happened is all the screens started to take the same look. They, every operator, no matter if he goes back to an extruder or a water control system, he knows where the alarm button is to get to the alarm screen or reset the machine. Yep. And so we created that standardization around the HMI template suite. And we've just, we've been chipping off one at a time, upgrading machine after machine. And we keep something on the books all that time. Now that particular customer's taking us out to Chino, California. And so they want exactly what we've done here in North Carolina and Chino, California, which is the reason we travel a lot of times. We have a local company we build a relationship with and they have places elsewhere. And so now we're taking that standardization on the other side of the country and rolling it out because I see value. You can write manuals around that. You now have the DMC PDFs around the help files. You can call Siemens tech support and say, I'm using the DMC blocks or I'm using the LGF library or the HMI template suite. By the way, they can help you. Free tech support. That's the probably the biggest one. Our last meeting with them was in the feedback we've gotten is, not so much about how much money they've spent on all these upgrades with us. It was about the amount of EBITDA that per month they've gained through the last two years working with us, which was really exciting. That's it. I'm curious if I may ask a question on the project, Bobby. So you mentioned that you're retrofitting maybe each machine one at a time. Yep. If someone's looking at a similar project, do you think there's maybe an advantage of doing it that way versus let's say saying, hey, let's standardize all controllers then let's turn it around, standardize like all HMIs. I'm just trying to understand like what makes sense uh, yep. from like maybe different manufacturers in a general sense. How would you approach that problem? Yeah. So I don't know many companies that has the bandwidth even using contractors to say, hey, let's go in this weekend and upgrade all the machines with everything. <laughs> and that's not what you're saying, but sequentially still. Sequentially you know phasing it in. But what you can do. One weekend. You can, yeah, for sure. You can phase in HMIs. You, you can go ahead. Okay, let's take this old HMI out. Go ahead and build the HMI front end for this machine. Whether it has a driver connection to a, a third-party PLC or what have you, most brands, say with an HMI, have drivers to talk with many, even antiquated connection means, whether that be serial, Modbus, 232, 485. Everybody does OPC UA now, so... You can talk that, but probably your PLC doesn't if it's been in there for a few years now. So, yep, you can start with HMIs. Past that, a lot of times people are going after the VFDs. So we're going in and we're doing a, a drive upgrade. And even if they stay hardwired, we're looking towards standardization of going to the field bus, right? Going into the Ethernet IP or the Profinet solution in the near future. So I see people wanting to get those aggravating VFDs out more than anything, in my opinion. The joke was with, we were doing some analytics on our purchases and the sales guy said, you should change your name from think PLC to think VFD because you've bought more in drives than you had PLCs last year. Uh, but yeah, just to circle back around that you could, you can absolutely do a phased approach to that for sure. Do you try and pair upgrades of that nature? So for example, I know that more recent VFDs provide quite a bit more capability, even on the data side, right? So they connect easier and you can extract maybe more information out of them than some of the older ones. Do you 
also yep. try and sell the end user on those capabilities or is it a pure let's standardize to the same version? We do. It's absolutely a talking point. Vlad, usually when we get involved in a project, there's a need. We're not doing a lot of technology selling unless it's manufacturer to manufacturer. We've been very fortunate specifically over the last three years for sure. But with that being said, yeah, so the diagnostics that the S7 diagnostics as an example that that comes into the comfort panel, unified panels from the PLC, especially if you marry it with the HMI template suite is mind blowing. It would it would be months of work for someone to be able to drill down and see which specific card and what the diagnostics buffer status is for a card that's damaged or maybe removed, which you can do that with just checking a box now on TIA portal as an example. On the drive side, absolutely integrating the drive alarms. And I've got to admit that both the, both of the top major manufacturers and some of the, the lower end manufacturers still have a major disconnect from reading in the, the major alarm scope directly to the HMIs at this point. It's coming, it's work, they're working on it, but we're still using text list and looking at hex decimal values to marry in. If I wanna know exactly what the fault code is, I have to do way more work than you should to get it on HMI at this point, but mm. it's coming with all. Siemens has done a great job of bringing that, that Profi diagnostics in via just standard telegrams to, uh, to marry it through to the HMI for sure. And sometimes, like, for example, we're making direct connections from, so I could have a slick 500 PLC as an example. I could have a comfort panel HMI and add in, say, maybe a Siemens VFD old PLC, new drives, new HMI. I can make a direct connection from the HMI directly to the drives now on the same bus they're on so that I can read parameters. I can actually change parameters without a PLC needed and or read diagnostics directly to the HMI. So that's been around for some time now. See, and I like to hear about those, again, like a bit less tangible selling points because I think they're not as often discussed and not as well understood as just, we're going to get this newer drive that ultimately the argument could be made, it's still going to start the motor, right? Yeah. But again, there's going to be less development time, let's say on the engineering side, we're going to yeah. be able to give you all these like alarms, which you previously didn't have. So there's, I want to say again, probably some calculation on dollar amount going into having a upgraded system or standardized system on the newer technology, which I think not everybody un understands like, as well as they probably should. Yeah, um, for sure. And one thing that's the, in the product guys that, that support the safety stuff, they're probably jumping out of their seat right now, but especially like the Profi Telegram for safety and uh, safety over SIP safety, the amount of diagnostics for reading back in the state of these field bus capable safety devices now to be able to bring that in is a big deal other than having one bit that says safety fault or drive error. <laughs> so that exists in there's standard blocks on all fronts, all manufacturers now for reading that in. So you want to, you want to make sure that safe torque off has been engaged, that you don't have a safe torque off error, or it's actually initiated or especially you get in advanced safety that the G120, for example, does really well. You can get all levels of that safety and the safety diagnostic status off Telegram 30 out of the box with Profinet. Awesome. That's really good to hear. Dave, what are your thoughts? I think that this has been really interesting. And Bobby, just like every other conversation we have, we have blown through the first hour so amazingly quickly. I do want to make sure that we hit on one topic and you teased it a bit earlier, but can you tell everyone who is maybe unfamiliar with BrewLogix what BrewLogix is? Because I think it's something very interesting 
that y'all are doing? Yeah. What is Brewlogix? Brewlogix is a mindset. <laughs> no, it's a network gathering where we get together at some date, sometime, usually at a craft brew house that has food or we bring food in. And it's a different way to make touches to customers and friends. We, we tell people that if you're looking for an employee, it's a good place to be. If you're looking for a new job, it's a good place to be. If you're looking for a customer, it's a good place to be. We, we share the experience with other integrators. I often give them shout outs if they come. We, we appreciate that. In fact, the joke was the last one we did in Raleigh was nothing but systems integrators. Out of 60 people, John, to tell them to tell you, out of like 65 or so people, I would say probably 80% was guys from different systems integrators. We love that. Hey, call me up. Let's do one together. Usually what we do is we're piggybacking on the craft beer craze so that you want to come to some event like this. You'll make the time. You'll lie to your wife about where you're going, whatever it is. And you'll make the time and hang out for all those reasons. And then the cool thing was, is like we get to sit around and enjoy craft beer, talk shop like we would at lunch with our coworkers or geek out. And we, But it's a live demonstration. It's not a PowerPoint you to death about a sales opportunity. That's the point of it. And we get somebody else to pay for it usually, which is really cool. <laughs> so Siemens has been a great sponsor of this now for years. And uh, we just really enjoy making touches with customers. And I've done it multiple states now. We have something like five of these things mm -hmm. on the schedule throughout through now to January. Come see us in Johnson City and Knoxville in Kernersville. So the triad Winston-Salem area here, it's up and coming. And just in the next few months, we're excitingly doing new topics. So it usually includes showing TIE portal is actually up. We're actually making something work and we're just doing snippets. We're not running long to where you're falling asleep on us. We're saying, hey, here's a really cool feature that you might heard of or not know about that you want to go back and talk about. If you're a production manager, maintenance manager, whatever, come. It's You don't have to know about how to program PLCs, you might see something go back and say, I want to talk to somebody or talk to my guys about what I saw there so that we can innovate moving forward. Maybe setting standards because that's some of the conversations we're having at the upcoming BrewLogic events. Is no, there absolutely. a link? Sorry, David. Is there a link, Bobby, that we can send to our listeners slash viewers to see where the upcoming events are taking place? Yes, sir. We'll get you, we'll get you links to all of them Perfect. so that Folks can find whatever's closest to them or more convenient and be a part of it. Awesome. Hope to do some virtual brew logics and do some at the trade shows in the coming future. We've discussed that at a high level. And again, it's just about getting good people together to talk about what we do. Perfect. Dave? Absolutely not. I was going to ask if there was a list floating around, Bobby. I think the last time you were on, Vlad and I said that we would have to find some time to uh, to go do a brew logics with you. And at least for me, it's going to almost be criminal if if you and I miss each other five times in the next. I've done your months. thing three times. It's only fair that you, <laughs> Bob, Bobby. I'm trying, right? It, it is not for lack of trying. If y'all showed up everywhere Wednesday at one percent, well, not Wednesday because I do this, but if it's every Thursday night, I would go find a way to. I would go find a way to make it happen. But I know we, you. We, we we will find a way to make it happen and bring some of the folks here a little bit more sneak peeks as to, to what all goes on with the brew logic. So no, awesome, Bobby. Thank you so much. As to wrap it up, I like to put you on the spot. I maybe even more than maybe even more than the first hour or so, but I like to ask folks to go predict the future. So from your side, what do you think the future of standardization is going to become? 
application solving improvement. So you're going to see these companies, again, adding more library and adding it in the firmware like Rockwell has done in the latest firmware. What was Plant PAX, for example, essentially is now being built in out of the box without downloading a lot of things. And I think the conversations will increase about learn how to use software and let us help you solve problems. Instead of getting the gray hair that I have about making a machine do exactly what you need to do, it's been done before probably or something to that effect. So let's build off that. Let's not have the customers pay absorbent amount of money for you to learn. Let's use something that can be supported and move forward. Other than that, I think around the software, like we talked about, cloud-based programming environments with FT Hub and TIA Portal Cloud coming. And I'll wrap this up and we're going to talk about this at BrewLogics. But what we're seeing in the new release of what's called C-Star from Siemens, which is their high-performance, medium-level to low-level process automation solution, where it generates the function blocks for you like PackML, but it goes much further by building your WinCC screens, essentially unified screens. So you can create, they've created the standardization so you can build around that. So I'll just wrap up with that. That's what's coming in the future is just enhancements around those specific topics. Absolutely. I like that a lot. I will shout out episode 114 with Joseph Vital from SDA Software Defined Automation. They're doing a bunch of interesting things about IDE in the cloud. I think both Siemens as well as Rockwell. So you guys can go ahead and take a listen to that. I think it's very exciting being able to, in theory, program everything off of an iPad and in a moving bullet train is what I've seen Joseph do, which I think is very cool. Next, Bobby, I'd love to ask you for some career advice, right? And I think you gave some great career advice that if you're close and are looking to hire or looking to be hired, go to a BrewLogics event. But maybe if someone isn't going to be locally close to you and they're looking for some kind of early mid-career advice, what sort of career advice do you have for them? Always keep learning. Don't get your associate's degree and get someone to hire you and then think you're done. You, I spend my nights and weekends studying to this day when arguably I could not do that and maybe hire someone to do everything. I study nonstop. I, at lunch breaks, I pull up YouTube videos. I watch Vlad's to see if he does something that I've not seen before. I watch his videos, subscribe to Solus, talk to people. I've Crazily, because I, with a one-year-old at home and everything else I have going on, I have time. I don't. But I, I enrolled in a MIT nuclear engineering online study course. Crazy. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. So just don't. And it can be about anything. For me, early on, it was learning more about mechanical systems. I want to get my way around a fab shop, building, milling machine, lathe, even though I was the guy with the laptop. I felt that it was best to know that. And also early on, I went and took a codes and standards class because even in engineering school and even in community college, we didn't learn the National Electric Code book. And I did after hours at a local community college where I was living, joined up. So just keep learning. You're not ever done. And so that would be my mid-year to entire career advice. <laughs> 
I love that. I absolutely love you, that. Thank you so much for that, Bobby. Before we move to the next one, I do want to thank again everyone in the comments. We've had so many fantastic comments with Caleb and Jason and Matt and Matthew most recently as we were going through that. Again, as we said, we are very, very chat or oriented. And thank you guys for going ahead and doing that. Bobby, I know in the past you've given us a bunch of interesting book recommendations. So we're going to ask you for one more. What, what sort of book recommendation do you have for us today? I won't be ionizing radiation for sure. The one that I just wrapped up that's so applicable in your personal life, that's applicable in business for sure. That's where it really applies for sure. Or being on a team, if I had a, if my son was in high school, I'd make him read this, is Extreme Ownership by Navy SEAL, actually two Navy SEALs, Jocko Willink. Jocko. Mm. Yep. Yep. It's fantastic. You don't have to be a meathead that, that likes war stories. He does give you a little insight to how it was to be in Iraq and Armadi, obviously in the, when we were over there in 2003 timeframe, but he mm -hmm. applies real world mistakes that they made, that his team made. And it, ownership is a big thing in our company. We talk about that. So we said year before, is it as good as it could be? Taking extreme ownership, it will get you there. So I keep carving away at things like I, I want people to be bought in. And if you get a team together that that has extreme ownership or at least working to that fact and is open to the concept, it really applies for being a high performance team. Have you, I know that he does conferences as well. I don't know if you've been to Jocko's like conferences. I've been really oh. close to pulling the trigger, but. Oh yeah. man, that would be great. I wish I had the money to bring him as a business consultant because they do that as well. Yeah. If you're interested, Audible, he's on Audible and it's done by him and Leaf, mm -hmm. their Navy SEAL. And it, it's fantastic to hear them tell the stories. But reading is big too. But yeah, he has TED Talks. So you can get on YouTube look up extreme ownership. You'll see his TED talk on extreme ownership. It's amazing. No, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Bobby. I think you're the second person to to recommend that. And Vlad, you, you listened or read the book after Zach had recommended it a couple of years ago? I Is listened to I the book. Yep. And I, like I said, I've watched many videos of his, like doc, I've subscribed to his podcast as well. Like he does a number of things that are really interesting. And I think he's awesome. been on a number of podcasts, like out, outside of his own as well. So. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. Interesting. No, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that, Bobby. And then Bobby, last question for you is who should reach out? Who are you looking to connect with? Are you guys looking to hire? Are you looking for more customers? How can our audience, the folks listening, help you? All that. I find myself often giving advice and helping people where I don't find anything in return, which is absolutely fine. So anybody has a question that for some reason in some godly sense thinks I can add some value. Absolutely. I, I am pretty responsive, whether it be after hours or whatever, for sure. We're always looking for customers where we work hard to try to take care of the customers we have, but we're always looking to build that pipeline because we don't have anybody in sales. So we appreciate when we can make that connection. Yeah. Anybody looking to make a jump, especially in automation or in leadership, get often folks that they're thinking about making the jump into entrepreneurship. I can speak the best in automation, but I often help friends and, and people that I meet in other ventures, whether it be something totally different. What do I do? How do I start? Who do I call? It's, I've been through all that the hard way. And it's all like sharing the good and the bad. And I prefer other people don't have to learn the hard way like I have on some things. That's it. Absolutely. No, I think that that has been amazing. Bobby, thank you so much. We will see you at some point long before 
I don't know, another year when you come back on for another show at some point at a brew logics, if you guys are watching live, thank you so much. If you're like Lewis, who just joined us at the very end, absolutely go ahead and back and rewatch it. Every single one of Bobby's episodes are absolutely cannot miss. If you guys are following along on LinkedIn or on YouTube or any of those places, please feel free to hit the subscribe button, follow along on manufacturing hub on most of the event, on most of the events, Bobby is absolutely gone and linked there. So make sure to connect with Bobby and Vlad and myself. If you guys have not managed to do that already, if you are listening on podcast format, thank you guys so much. If you've made it all this way, please give us a five-star rating and follow along and all of those awesome things. It helps. And Bobby, as I say, when I remember to ask people to like, and subscribe, people like, and subscribe. So that is awesome. Again, thank you everyone else. Thank you to Siemens for sponsoring standardization and automation. We'll catch everyone live, same time, same place next week. Until then, bye-bye. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, everyone.